Go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you have them, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. We are going back to the series we've been on, and uh, we'll be looking at that in, in just a minute. So how are we doing this morning? Y'all out there? You good? All right. Well, good. Uh, in the spirit of the political stuff going on, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, you know, not everybody's as great as they think they are, and uh, sometimes it's a reality. A number of years ago, Governor Herter of Massachusetts uh, was campaigning for a second term, and he had spent the day, he had been out, and he had been working hard and shaking hands and garnering votes and doing all you can do, and uh, he skipped lunch, and late that afternoon, he shows up at a church picnic, a church barbecue, if you will, and he was just famished, and he thought, well, you know, I can, I can have a meal and get some votes, and so he gets in line, and, and he gets up there, and he picks up his plate, and he gets along there, and he puts out his plate, and the lady gives him one piece of chicken, and, uh, and of course, he's really hungry, so he says, ma'am, would it be all right if I had another piece of chicken? And she says, sir, um, I've been instructed to give one piece of chicken. He said, I, I understand, but, but I'm really hungry. It's been a long day, and um, just in my case, could you, could you give me another piece? And she says, sir, I, I can only give you one piece. And so he, normally mild-mannered and very unassuming, but he was hungry. And so he said, I'm going to throw some weight around. And so he says, lady... He says, do you know who I am? I am the governor of the state of Massachusetts. And she said, sir, do you know who I am? I'm the woman in charge of the chicken. You get one piece, move on. <laughs> you, know? you know, as a rule of thumb, sometimes people think they're greater than they are and they think they're more important than they are. Well, this morning we're going to look at a guy in Scripture that's pretty unassuming uh, he's pretty obscure. In, unless you've been with us, you probably uh, don't know his name, may not can even pronounce his name. He only appears in Scripture for three verses, and yet the Bible says he is great and challenges us, or at least the, the audience, to consider how great he was. And so we want to look at this guy. His name's Melchizedek. He showed up in Scripture. And let me just kind of give you, set the background Abraham, you know, the father of the Jewish nation, the friend of God, uh, really the greatest guy really in Scripture. I mean, just uh, the man of faith. I mean, he kind of set the tone. Uh, God made him a promise, made covenants with him and said, listen, Abe, you're going to, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of heaven. Uh, from you, all the nations are going to be blessed. So this, Abraham's a great guy. Well, uh, his son, his nephew Lot, not his son, but his nephew Lot had been living in Sodom and had gotten off track and got over there and, and he got captured by a group of kings. There were four or five of them. One of them was King Chedur, Chedur Lamar, I guess is maybe how you say that. And so they run off with Lot and all the people from Sodom. And so Abe gathers 318 hired men. So he's a pretty rich dude. He had 318 guys working for him. He was a rancher, kind of a, a shepherd and that kind of thing. So he gathers up his guys and he goes after these five kings and he whips them gets Lot, gets all the people, gets all the stuff, and he's headed back home. And on the way home, the Bible says he runs into this guy named Melchizedek. And so think about this. Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of the nation, the man who has the promise of God, he goes, he captures all this stuff. On the way home, he runs into this guy and he's so impressed with this guy that the scripture says in, in Genesis, 
that he takes a tenth of what he, what he got and he takes the best of what he had and he gives it to Melchizedek. And the Bible says Melchizedek blesses him and then blesses God and out of the scripture he goes and he's never heard from again. Now, that was 4,000 years ago. A 1,000 years later, David, in writing the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110, talking about the coming Messiah, says that he's going to be a high priest in in the order of Melchizedek. He looks back. And then then he's gone for a 1,000 more years, and we don't hear anything about him. Unheard of, unseen, unmentioned. And then a 1,000 years later, as we read a couple months ago in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, The writer declares that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 10, he says, I would like to tell you a lot more about this guy, Melchizedek, but you're kind of sluggish. You're kind of slow to hear. Uh, You can't really handle it. And then he waxes into the end of that great passage in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Really difficult. We spent a month, you know, three or four weeks on that. But then he finishes that chapter... Now, this is interesting. He says to the audience, he says, I want to say a lot more about this guy. He says, but, but, but intellectually and from a maturity standpoint, you can't handle it. And then a chapter and a half later, he says, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to pick up. We're going to talk about this guy. So that sets all this up. Let's begin reading chapter 6, verse 20, and then the first couple of verses of 7. Uh, actually, verse 19, he says, uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, that is the, the, the most holy place, the presence of God, where Je- look at this, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having b- become a high priest forever after the order of him. Here's that guy's name, Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning, I love this phrase, from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And so Abraham went out and he took care of business. And on the way back, he was met and it says that Melchizedek blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, speaking of Melchizedek, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Let's pray together. Father, would you take this word that is in the subsequent verses of this chapter and open our minds and open our hearts that we might hear the truth. Out of your word. Lord, this is kind of deep theology today, but it's practical stuff. Uh, and I hope you'll help us to see that, Father, I pray for each of us in the audience uh, that all of us would see the significance uh, of why the priesthood matters to us. And why does Jesus, as the great high priest, matter to us? So would you come and speak into our life? I pray for those that may not yet know who Jesus is, that today they would recognize that he is indeed uh, there's no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God, no one like our Savior. Jesus is Lord. So come and meet with us, and we'll give the glory to you, Father, through Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I mean, well, uh, there, there's a study of, uh, or there's a branch of interpretation, if you will, uh, in, in theology circles. It's called typology. And typology is the idea that in the Old Testament there were events uh, and there were places 
And there were people that, that are types of something in the New Testament. Usually they refer to a, a type of Christ or a type of the salvation experience. Now there were a number of those. I mean, Egypt is kind of like a type of the world. Uh, the promised land would be referred to as the a type of heaven. Uh, there's the Passover lamb, which is a type of Jesus. And we could kind of go on and on and on. You may remember the story, Jesus, John chapter 3. Jesus uh, is kind of hanging out at the end of the day. It's, it's turned evening. And a guy named Nicodemus comes over and, and wants to talk to Jesus. And he, he's kind of a, he's a, a real devoted Jew and he didn't want anybody to know, but, but he knew Jesus was the real deal. And so he comes to Jesus and, and in the, in the ensuing conversation, Jesus talks about, he says, now, Nick, you remember in the old Testament, uh, when there was a plague that the snakes began to attack the, the Jews because of their disobedience and Moses made a bronze serpent. And he said, you know, remember that bronze serpent, when they put up the bronze serpent, everyone who was bitten by a snake, if they looked upon the bronze serpent, they were healed. And then Jesus said that, which was a type of Christ. And, and then Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, just like the bronze serpent had to be lifted up to save them, the son of man, Jesus was saying, I'm going to be lifted up and whoever looks upon me will be saved. Now that's a, that's a type. And, and there's a number of these types, this typology now, uh, in scripture. Well, Melchizedek is one of the great types of Christ. Uh, that we find in scripture and his priesthood was a, was a, uh, forerunner, if you will, a picture, if you will, of Jesus' priesthood. Now there's been much conversation over the years about really who, who is this guy Melchizedek? Is, was he a man? Was he, was he something else? Now I read at least seven different suggestions about who he might be. And I, I won't go into all those. Uh, Matthew Henry, the great commentator of yesteryear, uh, summarized them into three. A lot of the Jewish theologians thought, well, maybe he's Shem. Remember the son of Noah, Shem? Uh, maybe that's who they're talking about. And he just changed his name and moved to Canaan. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't think that carries much weight uh, at all. There's no record in Scripture that, that Shem moved to Canaan. If he had moved to Canaan, then... Abram wouldn't have been where he was. So, so we'll just dismiss that one. The second one, uh, the second uh, idea is that maybe he was a, what we would call a Christophany or a Theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, when you read, when you read uh, those first three verses, that sounds very plausible. Man, he was without mother or father, without genealogy. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and it, it, great possibility where people, uh, where that kind of bogs down, they say, you know, if, if, if Melchizedek really was Jesus, would the writer have said he was made like or he resembles the son of God? And so a lot of people say, well, that's probably not the best translation. The third, the third idea of who this Melchizedek was is that he was simply a Canaanite king that worshiped God, he loved God, he honored God, he showed up uh, to bless Abraham, uh, to be a picture for what was to come, and then he steps off the pages of Scripture. And that's kind of where most people land. Now, uh, does it really matter? Probably not for us. The issue is not who he was. I have an opinion. I won't even share that. But the issue is not who he was, but what was his purpose? His purpose was to typify the coming priesthood of Jesus. His purpose, his great purpose was to be a picture of who Jesus was. The aim of the writer was that his audience would pick up on Jesus and realize that Jesus and his priesthood is greater than 
the Old Testament Levitical priesthood and greater than Abraham and greater than anybody in the Old Testament. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Mike, that's great. They were Jewish. They were Hebrews. They were in the sacrificial system. They needed a priest. It's, it's the 21st century. Why does this matter to us? Why does the priesthood matter to us? Why do we need a priest? And that's a good question. That's a fair question. But I want to share with you this morning, it's an important question simply because we need, listen, you and I, the priesthood matters to us. The the priesthood is significant. Now, uh, you might, you know, when when you study this whole idea of the priesthood, uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, why why does this thing matter? Well, well, let's let's think about this. The the Latin word... uh, Pontifex is the word we use for priest. And that's the word uh, uh, they use. In fact, in, in Roman, in ancient Rome, the emperor, the Caesar, was referred to as Pontifex, actually Pontifex Maximus. Now, the word Pontifex means bridge maker or bridge builder. So the idea was that the, the emperor of Rome was the greatest bridge builder. He was the greatest high priest, if you will. Well, Somehow that translated over to the Pope. And so the Pope is considered the Pontifex Maximus. In other words, he is the greatest bridge builder. He is the greatest high priest. And, and we even consider that in our, or some people, not we, but some people consider him to be the greatest bridge builder. You see him going all over the world, building bridges. And do, so a lot of people seem that way. Now, no offense to, to our Catholic friends, but, but I, I don't, I, I take issue with him being the greatest bridge builder. I mean, he's having a hard time building a bridge between him and Donald Trump, if you've been paying attention, right? So, so, but, but I don't know that anybody can, can build that bridge, but, but I digress here. But, but I, what I want you to think about is the idea of this priest is the idea of a bridge builder. You say, well, why does that matter? If you and I are going to connect to God, it demands that there be a mediator, if you will, or a bridge builder. Here's something that I've kind of been trying to get my mind around the last couple of years. There are two things I believe that me as a, as a, as a follower of Christ, and I believe it's true, it should be true of every one of us. There are two things that we can't really understand and appreciate. Number one, we can't appreciate how holy and perfect and righteous God is. And number two, we can't really fathom how sinful we are. We, we just, I mean, sometimes we get an idea, but, but the chasm between my sinfulness and God's holiness is vast. And the idea is that if, if there, if that chasm, if that gulf, if that distance between our sinfulness and God's holiness is going to be crossed, there has to be a bridge builder. It's the only way to get there. And so the priest in the Old Testament, he built the bridge. He was the mediator between God and man. The problem was his work didn't last. His, I mean, you know, they had to do it over and over and over and over. And I mean, they come back every year and it went over and over and over. And so it, it never really got the job done. And so, so the reason that we need a priesthood and the reason that we need a priest is because we are, we are sinners, all of us. God is holy completely. And that gap between needs a bridge to cross it. And hence, 
we have the priesthood. Now, let's real quickly. I want to I want to give you some background. There's a the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood the Levit, we'll call it the Levitical priesthood. They were just different. The problem was the Jews, and these people were Jewish. They were following Jesus, many of them, but they were they're having a hard time, and they were struggling. And so the, their temptation was to go back to the old way of life, to go back and, and you know start offering the sacrifices again, and go to the day at home and take a goat and let them slaughter the goat, or take a bull and let them slaughter the bull and sprinkle the bull. And the temptation was to go back to that. And the writer says, "Listen, no, no, no. You you don't you don't want to go back to that because that doesn't get it done." And he says, now here's the reason, here's what you need to know. And he talks about this idea of Melchizedek. And, and he talks about the priesthood. Let me give you, if you got your uh, bulletin there, I got a little outline on the back. Let me just give you three thoughts. First of all, uh, regarding the priesthood, it, it's, it's different. It was a different priesthood. Melchizedek, the priesthood that ultimately would be Jesus' priesthood, is, is different than the old. Let me give you four ways it's different. Number one, it's universal and not and not national. You see what I mean by that? Uh, to the Jew, for the for the Jew, the Jewish priest gave offerings and sacrifices for the Jewish people. It was a national thing. And if you were a Gentile like we are, the only way you could get in on that is you had to be, you had to become, if you will, a Jew. They had to be circumcised. They had to go through all the, all the, the deal to become uh, a, a proselytic Jew. So it was just a national thing. But, but Melchizedek, he wasn't the, he was the priest. Notice the word in verse 1, of the Most High God. That's El Elyon. That is the name for God beginning in Genesis chapter 1, actually. But it's talking about the sovereign God over the whole universe. And so the idea is that Melchizedek and ultimately Jesus, his priesthood covers everybody. But the Jewish priesthood just covered Israel. And you'll see that that name for him is the name that non-Jews used for God. We won't get into how God got his Jewish name. That's Exodus chapter 3. You can read about Moses in the bush and, and all that. But, but let me just give you an example. When, when Nebuchadnezzar in, in the book of Daniel chapter 4, uh, when he blasphemed God and God put him out to pasture for seven years, you can, that's a, another story you can kind of read about. When, when, when he came to his senses, he realized that the God of Daniel was the most high God, that El Elyon, the, the sovereign God of the universe. And so I say all that simply to say this. The, the reason the priesthood of Jesus is different is because he's a priest over everybody. He's available to anybody. And the reason that's significant to you and me is because we need a bridge builder. And you're, most of you aren't Jewish, right? And I, I dare say most of us are not going to become Jewish. So we need a universal priest. And so Jesus was. Secondly, he, it was different because he was a, he was a kingly priest, a royal priest. If you notice there in those three verses, the first part of chapter seven, he's called the king of righteousness. He's called the king of Salem, which is probably, he was probably king over the area of Jerusalem. Uh, but that king of Salem means that he was king of peace. And so four different times it talks about his kingship. And listen, no Jewish priest, no Jewish priest was ever a king. Ever. And, and, and no Jewish king or no Jewish priest could ever be a king. The only guy to try it was Saul, and you know what happened to him. God snatched away the kingdom, and he died. That was the deal. 
And so this idea of a king priest was new. And so Jesus' priesthood, Melchizedek's priesthood was different because it was royal, because it was, uh, because it was universal. Also because it was personal. In other words, Jesus wasn't born a priest. He was, he was appointed. God chose him, uh, by oath. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Number, uh, four, he, it was a, it was different because it was perpetual. It was a continual priesthood, which we will, uh, look at in, in a moment. And so, uh, but, but understand, that it was a different priesthood, and because it was, look down at verse 4, because it was, it wasn't just different, it was greater. Look at verse 4, it says, see how, where else in Scripture do you see this statement? See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the small. I mean, the Scripture never talks about anybody being great, and yet Melchizedek was a great man. And the reason, the, the point of the, the writer is that all the Jews thought Abraham was the greatest guy since sliced bread. I mean, he was the father of their faith. He was the friend of God, and he was. I don't, I'm not demeaning Abraham, but he was a great man. He was, through him, the, the, the nation was going to be blessed, all the nations. Through him, everybody that ever come to God was going to come through Abraham. So he was a great man. But what the writer was saying is, as great as Abraham was, Melchizedek was greater. Think about this. The Jewish priests all came from the tribe of Levi. And if you remember anything about Israel and Jewish history, when they crossed the promised land, every tribe got an inheritance except which one? Levi. And so they were, God was to be their inheritance. So what they got to do is whenever anybody brought an offering, they got to take a tithe. A tent, that idea of a tithe, a tent. You know where that comes from? That's where it comes from. Really what it was, it was like a tax. When you came to the, when you brought your offering to the temple for the priest to, to go to God and get forgiveness for you, he got a tenth of the spoils. He got, or he got a tenth, kind of right off the top. And, and, but they, they took it by, by law. Okay, and so that was normal. Now, what the writer is saying is, Father Abraham, when he came, when he met Melchizedek and he had everything, he had all the spoils and all the winnings out of honor and out of respect and out of worship, he didn't have to give Melchizedek anything, but he gave him a tenth. In fact, John MacArthur says he gave him the top of the heap. In other words, he gave him the best he had. Not because it was a law, but out of love and honor and respect. And so what he was saying is, as great as Abraham was, Melchizedek's greater. And if the man is greater, his priesthood is greater. Therefore, Jesus is greater than Abraham and his priesthood is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And so his point was simply, listen, he's better. And then, and I wish I had time to go to talk about the whole tithe issue, but let me just say this about the tithe. Uh, the, in the Old Testament, they tithed because of the law. God expects us to give, and He does expect us to give. And I believe a percentage, and I believe a tithe is a great place to start. Not out of law, but out of love. Abraham was the greatest patriarch. Nobody told him what to do but God. Out of out of respect and honor, he gave the priest of God the first tenth, the best he had. And so when you, when it comes to bringing your offering, you, you don't, don't give it out of duty. 
Don't, don't give it because you feel like, oh, I've got to do this. No, no. We should give out of love and devotion to the one who gave it all. See, that, that's kind of the lesson from there. But, but, but he was saying, man, listen, this priesthood is, priesthood is greater because he gave a tithe to him voluntarily. But secondly, he said, man, he's greater because he gave a blessing. And then he goes on to say, listen, always the inferior is blessed by the greater. Any Old Testament blessing. Now, we have a hard time. This is kind of difficult for us to understand and, and to be significant to us. But, but if you read in the Old Testament, if you read the, the story of the patriarchs, the father always blessed the sons, Right? You remember the story? Abraham blessed Isaac. And then Isaac uh, blessed Jacob and Esau. You remember that whole story where they where, where Esau uh, got, you know, kind of sold his birthright. And then Jacob manipulated. You kind of remember that deal. And then Jacob, he became Israel. They, they changed his name to Israel. And then he blessed all his sons. You can read that in the end of Exodus. Remember Joseph? Joseph had the two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he brings them to his dad for the blessing because that's what they did. They always blessed. And, and he set one on the, the second son on his left side and the first son on the right hand because they blessed on the right side. And, and Israel was blind. Joseph brings his sons in, puts the right one here and the right one there. But Israel, being blind, he still, he reached across because he knew that God was going to bless Ephraim more. And jo- Joseph said, Dad, Dad, you got, your ble- you got your hands in the wrong place. And he says, No, no, son. And then, and then Jake, our, uh, Israel blessed Ephraim greater than he blessed Manasseh. And if you study Jewish history, you know which tribe was the most blessed? It was Ephraim. So, so this idea of blessing kind of came along. And to the Jewish person, what they knew is that, that if you got a blessing, it was because the one that blessed you was greater than you. And you are inferior to them. We don't understand that concept. I mean, to us, to us, God bless you is something we say when somebody sneezes, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of our, that's the extent for most of us. Now, you may pray a, pray a blessing over your kids and it, you should, that's a good idea. I'm all for that. And I think scripture's all for that. But, but we don't, that, that's beyond us. And, and, uh, as a rule, we just don't think that way. But to the Jewish person, the fact that a patriarch would tie to someone. The fact that a patriarch could be blessed by someone meant that that someone was greater than the patriarch and Abraham was the top to the Jew. And so what the writer was saying is that Jesus and Melchizedek and Melchizedek and Jesus are greater than Abraham, therefore they're greater than the priesthood that you experience. Now, now, why? That's kind of, you're going, okay, Mike, why? This is a lot of history. It's a lot of theology. Why does this matter? Okay. Look at verse 11, and you'll begin to see why it matters. Why do we need a, a new priesthood? Verse 11 says, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another to arise after the order of Melchizedek. Then look at verse 18. It says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its, look at this term, weakness and uselessness. For Here's the great point. For the law made nothing perfect. Now you say, why does this matter to me? Here's why it matters to you. Nothing in the law could make men right with God. Galatians 2.21 says that if righteousness comes through the law, 
Jesus died in vain. Now, let me translate that for us. What that means to us is if being good and going to church and trying to be a good boy or a good girl and do what you should and treat other people right and being religious and all that stuff, if that was enough, Jesus died in vain. Now, the reason that's significant, and I'll say more about this in a moment, but some of you here this morning, what you're counting on you, you believe you're going to heaven. And what you're counting on to get to heaven, you're counting on the fact that you're a pretty good person, that you try to do what's right, you try to be religious, you try to come when you can, and you're just thinking, man, uh, my good stuff is, is going to be good enough and God's going to let me into heaven. Well, what, the, what this whole deal is about is that you and me or the Jewish people, anybody keeping the law and being good enough, that wasn't sufficient. And so if you or I or any of us believe, if we believe that just keeping the rules and doing right is going to get us to heaven, we're kidding ourselves. That's why Jesus come. That's why, that's why he's what I would say third is a better, he has a better priesthood. And it's better because what the law couldn't do, Jesus did. And I'm going to kind of skip over some notes. And let me just say this. Uh, the question is, why is it better? Well, verse 22 tells us that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. It's kind of a pledge. Uh, we won't even go to that. But, but, but what I want to talk about is, is, is why does this matter to you? Why, why does it matter to me that Jesus is better than, uh, and Melchizedek's priesthood is better than Levitical, and Jesus is better than, than, than the old? Why does it matter to you and me? John Piper talked about this in, in some of his work on this text. But, but think about this. Remember we talked about God's holy? We talked about that we're sinful. You know, because of God's holiness, His holiness demands that somebody pay for sin. And in the Old Testament, that whole priesthood was about an animal dying to cover their sin for a year. But the next year, they, another animal had to die to cover their sin. See, this is hard for us because we're, and this is deep stuff. But, but the soul that sinned must die. I mean, somebody's got to pay. And, and so what we need, we need, you and me, because we're sinners and because our sin is separated from God, we need a king of righteousness. We need a king of peace. We need a king who didn't have a beginning and didn't have... We need a king who's going to be forever. We need a bridge builder that, that kind of spans the gap between us and God. And, and we don't need one that's going to die when he's 50. We don't need one whose who's sacrifice doesn't get the job done. We need someone to stand in the gap for us that can take away all of our sin. Look at verse 25. It says, consequently, what that means, because of all of this, Jesus is able, now look what it says, to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Here, let me give you, let me give you three quick reasons why Jesus is better and why you need Jesus. Number one, Jesus saves completely. The only, listen, this is so hard. I, I, I know I talk to people that grow up in the church. I talk to people who come to church. This is so hard for you to get your mind around. But only a relationship 
by faith through repentance with Jesus is going to completely save you. We have people all over America sitting in churches all over America just like ours who think that going to Sunday school and coming to church and giving their offering, that's going to get them to heaven. And I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but I want you, you got to know, I mean, I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm your shepherd, but you got to know this. If you don't get Jesus, you're not going to get to heaven. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. That word uttermost has two nuances. One, it means to save completely. Two, it means to save forever. If you want to be saved forever, and if you want to be saved completely, it's got to be with Jesus. It's got to be with Jesus. Look, turn, turn over to your right to the book of Jude, just a couple books. Jude, uh, verse 24. Listen to what it says. It says, now to him, same phrase here. Now to him who is able, now watch this, to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, there will be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Now, I want you to see this. Look back at verse 24. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, listen. This is, this is, this is huge. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're five, if you're 30, if you're 54, if you're 78. All of us, all of us are going to stand before this holy God one day. All of us are going to appear in his presence one day. And, and, and here's what you need to understand. Only Jesus, only Jesus is able to present you blameless in his presence. Because if when you come into the presence of God, whenever that is, whenever that day shall come, when you come into his presence, either either Jesus is going to be there defending you or you're going to be there on your own. And I don't know what's in your life and I don't know what's in your past, but I know what's in mine. And I want somebody with me that is able to present me blameless. I mean, don't you, don't you want to appear in the presence of the Most High God blameless? Jesus saves completely. Secondly, Jesus is the way exclusively. Back in Hebrews 7, 25, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. We'll come back to that in a few weeks. But draw near to God through Him. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. The apostles, John and Peter, said, Acts 4.12, 4, There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's one way into the Father, and that's through Jesus. He, he, he saves exclusively. He saves completely. The third idea, and let's, let's talk about this real quickly, uh, the reason you and I need Jesus, he saves completely, he saves exclusively, but he intercedes continuously. Look at the end of verse 25 where it says, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Uh, how many of you ever had a difficult, how many of you ever gone through anything difficult, hard, 
Just painful. Go ahead. This is not rhetorical. Okay, four, five of us, eight, ten of us. All of us have, right? I mean, life just, life brings hardship. And, and when we go through hardship, many of us, at least those of us who are people of faith, we want people praying for us because we want somebody standing in the gap, right? I mean, we want somebody that can stand in the gap. And, and you may know, I mean, there's been a few people over the years, if something's going on in my life, I want him praying for me or I want her praying for me because somehow they get results. And, and you probably know some people like that. Well, we want people praying for us that can get results. I read about, uh, I read about this this week, this lady, she wrote into um, Reader's Digest oh, a number of years ago. Her name was Kay Gordon, but she, she said, I, I was sharing in confidence with a friend what was going on in my office. She said, you know, she said things were really difficult. She said, I was really afraid. I was about to lose my job. And, and Kay said, I, I knew this lady was a, was a prayer warrior. And I knew she had a list. She had like you know, she, the 10 people that most needed her prayer she prayed for. So she says, so I asked her, I says, uh, would you pray for me? Do you have room on your list? And the lady says, says yeah. I says, uh, three of my people have died. There's room for you. I don't know that I want on her list. The, the odds are not good. I mean, I think I'd rather lose my job than, than take that as an option. But, but here's what I'm saying. We want people standing in the gap for us that can get it done, right? Well, Jesus ever liveth to stand in the gap for us, to be our, def- our advocate, 1 John 2, 2 says, with the Father. So when you struggle through the issues of life, aren't you glad to know there's somebody that knows everything and he's willing to stand and defend you? That's what Jesus will do. But not only that, this is, this is even more important. Did you know Revelation 12.10 says that the enemy, our, the accuser of the brethren, the devil himself, day and night goes before the God of heaven and accuses the brethren? I mean, think about this. Whenever you mess up spiritually, whenever you're, you open your mouth and something comes out that you wish you could bring back, whenever you think something that you wish you'd have never thought, or where, when you go somewhere you knew you never should have been, imagine this. When you do that, you begin to feel guilty. The enemy goes before God. And I don't know how this works, but he goes before God and he accuses you and me before the Father. It says, if he was really yours, he wouldn't have thought that. If she was really yours, she would not have done that or said that. But the Bible says that Jesus stands in the gap. And so when Satan comes and says, Father, or says, God, what about Mike? Jesus looks at the Father and says, he's with me. When when you really blow it and the enemy goes before God and, and he says, Does she really belong to you? Jesus is there and says to the Father, she belongs to me. She's mine. So I want to ask you this morning, when you blow it, who is it that is standing in the gap before this holy God in heaven? Because when you get Jesus, he ever lives continually, perpetually, eternally to stand in the gap 
and say, God, that one's with me. That one is mine. And so listen, listen. You got to have Jesus. Because if you don't have Jesus, who's going to stand in the gap for you? Who's going to stand in the gap for you? I know we've talked about deep theology and I know we've covered deep stuff. But when you boil it down, Jesus is able to save completely those who draw near to God through Him. My question, have you come to God through Jesus? Have you, by repenting of your sin and by placing your faith in Christ... Have you surrendered to God through Jesus? Because if you have, he's standing in the gap, interceding on your behalf now and forever. And you're never going to get a better deal than that. Let's bow together. Uh, just heads bowed for just a moment. Let, let me just be really personal this morning. Uh, have, you, have, you, have you really, really, Come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Not are you a good Baptist. Not are you a good church person. Not are you, not are you try to do your best and, and, and do what you should and, and serve and give. And Have you come to God and say, God, I'm desperately lost because of my sin. And God, because of my sin, I need Jesus to come into my heart and save me to the uttermost. And God, I need Jesus to bring me into your presence, to wash and take away my sin and to give me life forevermore. Have you ever said and done that? And if your answer is no, or if you even say, you know, Mike, I'm not sure, would you be willing today, would you be willing right now to surrender to God through Jesus? Because he is the way. And he is the truth. And he is the life. And he will save you forever. But you got to come. You got to come to him. And you got to come on his terms. Sold out. Father, I pray in these moments. Lord, I know there's some people here that need to surrender their life to Jesus. There's some students here that have never given their life to Christ. And God, my hope is that this moment they would surrender. God, there's some adults, there's some moms and dads here, maybe a grandparent. Never truly trusted Jesus. God, I pray this morning they would say yes, that they would surrender their life to Him. And so, Father, in this next few minutes, I pray that you'd have your will and your way in every heart and in every life. We'll give you the honor, and we'll give you the glory, and we'll give you the praise. And I ask in Jesus' name.